So hematoc- a lot of people focus on hematocrit, and I, I don't think you should single that out on its own in its entirety. You need to look at hemo. You need to look at RBC and see where both of those are in conjunction because hematocrit will go up even though hemoglobin and RBC are fine if you are dehydrated at the point of testing. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK for additional savings. We're brought to you by evalbloodanalysis.com. If you're in the UK, you can get your lab work done by jolly old Dave. We're also brought to you by Strom Sports Nutrition. For those of you in the UK, they've got a lot of great uh, health and performance supplements over there. And of course, uh, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. And thank you to everybody from Patreon. We do have a Patreon question today. We've got some uh, steroids in the news and uh, we've got a topic. So, But first, I want to say, Dave, we did our, our totally ad-friendly episode last week. And guess what? They instantly demonetized it on me. It's you. Told you. Mm, yeah. So I, I thankfully I was able to get it uploaded like a week in advance. And for that reason, um, they eventually did like the appeal went through and they allowed us to monetize it and, and blah, blah, blah. And people really did enjoy uh, the change. We talked a lot about training and I'd like to do that again. And I think one of the things that people really enjoyed is that we gave them like something concrete that they could take home and that they could try that week. You know what I mean? So I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to hearing what people have to say about uh, the, the arm workout after they've completed it. I hope they comment and let us know. Um, we've got, like I said, steroids in the news. But we also have a topic today. We're going to talk about basically setting up your year. There's a lot of there's a lot of roadblocks that people tend to have that come up. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to keep living life. Like you were mentioning before, as we brainstorm this, Dave. You know, if you're going to be going on vacation, it might not be a great time to start a cycle. How do we set up our off season? How do we set up a cut? How do we basically put a year together? Um, and so we're going to talk about that, which is a big, broad topic. I know. But I thought that we could give you guys some pieces so that you might better understand it. Um, do you want to start with that, Dave, or do you want to start with the steroids in the news? Because we could go either way. No, we'll start with that. So, okay. yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just sensible planning. I mean, there's always going to be things, you know, we can't change, like getting ill. But if you know, for argument's sake, the month of October, you've got a wedding, you've got a birthday, you've got this, you've got that, you've got a lot of social stuff going on, then why would you plan to be midway through a cycle if you know you're going to be boozing every weekend for a whole month? Yeah, yeah. You know, so sometimes it's unavoidable, you know. I mean, you can't always move comp dates, you can't always move comp schedules, So, and life does get in the way. So you've just got to accommodate that the best you can. But, um, and a lot of it depends on where you are in what you're doing as well. The more dedicated you are in terms of competing, the more you're probably going to be quite willing to forgo social events and structure your life around the competition dates rather than structure the competition dates around your social life. Yeah. But, I mean, I've I've had clients and they've been with me a while, don't mention anything, and then they start a cycle and three weeks in it's like, I'm going on holiday next week. Oh, yeah. I'm going on a cruise. Do you guys do cruises out there? Are cruises popular? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So it's the, the, the issue then is 
one, obviously, diet's going to change, training's going to change, and 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 the thing is, I don't see the point in having a holiday if you're not going to enjoy it. Yeah, you know, and if if training's what you enjoy and you include that in your holiday, then great, fine, not a problem. But for a lot of people, it's not. It's family time. It, it's time with partners. It's time to be away from all that. And and so then, well, why the hell are we starting a cycle? And why have you not mentioned this that you're going away? With? And the other thing is the effect of alcohol that's going to have on testosterone because you're going to go away, you're going to drink, and yes, you're going to come back with really high estrogen because of all the alcohol. So yeah, who you know, knows where your liver there's, values are going to be too, right? So there's there's all sorts of negatives. So a little bit of simple planning. Um, it doesn't have to be super structured, but if you know. You know, you've got certain periods of time where you're away or you're this or you're that, then then try and accommodate a bit around them and just be a little bit flexible and sensible. You know, if oh, I want to do a 12-week cycle, but I'm going on holiday at week nine, well, then just do an eight-week cycle and, and just slot it around. Why go into a holiday being geared up to the eyeballs when it's not really going to do anything for you? And a lot of people I've noticed will say, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to go on holiday for the last two weeks. Well, it's like, well, then come off. Because your levels are still going to be plenty high enough to sustain you through the holiday. So you're oh, not going yeah. to have an issue. And then when you get back, you can actually drop into your cruise or your PCT or whatever you're doing really, really neatly. So it's not actually a negative thing if you time it right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and on that point, here, I got something for us, Dave. Let's take let's take the, the calendar here, okay? So we're, we're recording this on October 3rd, okay? Mm-hmm. And then here is we'll say uh, most of 2024. I'll put that up next below that. So obviously these don't fit together, but all right. So if it's October 3rd right now, let's say somebody wanted to do an off-season mass phase right now and they wanted to be in shape for summer. What would that look like based off of this calendar for you? Tentatively, of course. I would say comfortable bulk October, November, December, three days over Christmas, four days over Christmas, relaxed diet, not being stupid, but allowing family time and time off, enjoy the holiday. Um, yes, it's going to be a little bit messy, but it is the back end of everything. Then I would do a hold with a gentle clean in January. Moving into a more aggressive diet back in the January, going into February, full blown cut by second week in Feb, um, or definitely third week in Feb, potentially adding in anabolics by the end of Feb. So hard cut March, April, getting into condition by the end of May. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. If we were to if we were to push it any further, definitely October, November, December. I'm trying to think if I would do anything different here cuz so far I think I just agree with you, but just to think it out, October, November, December, let's say continued growing through January, then took February and March. Yeah, you're pushing it too far then cuz if you take cuz I'd like to have a I'd I'd like to take almost eight weeks like basically here's what i would here's the way i would see it and i may be repeating what you just said for the most part but october november december uh off season push 
uh, on cycle, the January break time. And obviously that would allow you to have, you know, American Thanksgiving if you're here and your Christmas holidays and stuff, no big deal. But then January break time and then middle of February, get labs when you're about six weeks off at that point, see where you're at and then plan to start dieting that middle of February and see what we can get through February into March and somewhere in March, probably, if not April, then start to add gear back in again and build that up through probably June. That's where I would probably end up is let's figure that you're going to be in good shape by June. That's where I would see it standing personally. I mean, so yeah, pretty close yeah, to what I, you're saying. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few weeks either way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd potentially stop the bulk cycle drug wise. The you know beginning of sort of the 23rd December, 21st of December. Okay. Yeah. Um, allow Christmas drug free, then drop into PCT or a cruise in January. Um, hold bit of a tidy up back end of January going into February and then be looking at dropping back on cycle beginning of March for the cut, giving you a nice eight week break there. But it, there's flexibility of a couple of weeks either way, depending yeah. on how people. And the other thing is, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm two weeks into December and I'm flying, yeah, then let's push it a bit longer. If, if I'm two weeks into December and I'm stalling and I'm not really getting anywhere, well, fine, we'll, We'll stop yeah. that. What's the point of flogging a dead horse? We'll stop. So there, there does there does need to be an element of assess and adjust throughout all of it. Um, I mean, I know Paul Borison used to be a big fan of doing stuff like antivirals, yeah, um, pre cycle to try and make sure that from um, we. I don't know if people fully realise this. They may do. They may not. I might be teaching people to suck eggs here, but. We're exposed to bacteria, we're exposed to viruses every day, all day. And very often our immune system will respond without us even knowing it. And it's only when our immune system starts to struggle that we start to get ill. Um, so his idea, because gear has a slightly immune suppressive action, um, his idea was you run an antiviral for a couple of weeks pre-cycle to make sure that there were no underlying viruses, there was nothing your body was dealing with so that when you started your cycle you didn't succumb to anything that was sitting in the background yeah that'd um, be extreme man because I, oh, well, well, I, I, I mean he was an extreme guy though wasn't oh he? was extreme but but there's though I, I think the chemical approach is is way overboard yeah there's something to be said for being sensible about you know what i'm fighting a cold off at the moment i don't feel 100 percent. let's just put starting off for a week Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe look at like what we know about vitamins today, like mm -hmm. vitamin D, you know, I mean, we, we had somebody who asked about mega dosing or what they would do with to boost their immune system. And I had talked about what uh, Dr. Eric Serrano had talked about at Swiss of him saying that that maybe uh, high mega doses of vitamin D might not be going into, into what they consider toxic levels might not be as bad for us as we you know, had had thought in the past that, you know, there is things you need to worry about, like its ability to um, better absorb calcium so that mm -hmm. you can get issues with calcium. But you need to keep an eye on that. But I ran to dealing with my post, you know, long flu 
deal. Um, I ran 45,000 units of vitamin D for about a year and it's helped me, man. It's helped me to feel the best I have. So, you know, if you're feeling better and you're, you're getting healthier and you're not having issues with calcium, then my thought is why not? So if we know that vitamin D can be helpful, why not boost that up then going into a cycle? You know, that would be my thought, at least. And that's I always make sure nowadays that everybody's taking at least 5000 units, if not 10. And if they have an issue, I suggest they go higher. I think for a lot of us, and I think I've been guilty of this in the past, we create plans and then we're a bit too rigid I must speak to the plan. Yeah. Uh, and, and there is something to be said for pushing through and being determined and being consistent but there needs to be a common sense approach with that as well. Agreed. You know, if you're two weeks off finishing your cycle and you come down with the flu and you know you're going to be bedridden for a week, I'd be like, you know what, let's just stop now. Yeah. You know, because we're not getting anything out of this last week, a week yeah. and a half anyway, so let's just stop now. Um, so there, there, is, there is an element of, uh, you know, assess and adapt as well. And it's a difficult judgment call. It, it isn't always easy to know when do I, you know, the amount of times we've gone to the gym and felt like absolute dog and, and then gone, you know what, that's the best workout I've had in ages. But yeah. then at the same time, we've gone to the gym and felt like absolute dog and pushed and end up just making ourselves feel rougher and iller and, and, and not any better. So it is a hard judgment call. It, it isn't always an easy one to shout at. I think sometimes you've got to give it a push but be sensible enough to realize when that push is, is biting back and it's like, no, I need to step away now. Yeah, I agree. Well, listen, let's move on here. We have uh, some steroids in the news. This is an update to a previous story that we talked about a while ago. Um, and then we'll tackle all your listener questions. If you guys want to take part in the next show, then comment below, plus comments and likes, all that stuff. It helps to boost us in the algorithm. And if you guys are new to our content, then let me encourage you to subscribe and hit the bell because we have several bodybuilding podcasts out each week. Now, Dave, do you remember us talking about um, testing for anabolics in the military in the U.S., that they had a, a particular course I believe it was for the Navy SEALs that guys were using anabolics to just to push through that. Do you remember that happened a while ago? And I guess that uh, somebody, I guess, had had died as a result. Well, we have an update to that. So I should I should hit our button here. Guys, we have steroids in the news. It's an update, Dave. makes a change all right check this out let me go to this news story here we have no sound scott oh you can't you can't hear that hold on why can't you hear that oh here we go because you're not professional no you should have known that all right let's try that again no, it's not. Nope. There we go. The Navy in November will begin randomly testing its special operations forces for steroids and other performance-enhancing drugs. All Navy SEALs and other special forces will have to submit to random testing. Navy officials say they want to protect service members' health and ensure that they're not using drugs to meet the extreme physical challenges. The Army is expected to do the same. 
What do you think See, about now that, that, man? Well, we've been doing it in the UK. The power's for, out. So, You're miserable. And no, the food is that, bad. You ask your... <laughs> well, they've been doing it in the UK for years. I mean, that's what I used to do, was educate the military um, and do presentations to the, the military on, on anabolic use and stuff like that. Really? Um, and I know Jason Corrick's done a few presentations. I think it may have been... He's done it on the American bases, but I'm not sure if it's military base. If it's army or air force or, or which he's done, um, yeah. but yeah, so I mean, the UK's done it since oh, the first Afghanistan, I think they started. Okay, yeah, um, but I guess at at the end of the day, I mean, I I don't want to see people taking something because they feel they they need to to keep up. But at the end of the day, so, I, I mean, here's the thing. I guess I don't know. Is it that? That special forces are they just like kind of like the genetic elite? Is that what it, so, it should be? The way like bodybuilding yeah, pros are the genetic so, elite? You know, there's a few arguments around this. Um, so one is we want them to the best of what they do, so they should have this ability to chemically enhance that. Yeah. The issue there is one that that requires the maintenance of chemical enhancement. Uh, and yeah. they don't always work in environments where that is available or conducive. So do you want a guy who's special ops? So these are probably a bit of an exaggeration, but not too much on. These are trained assassins. These are people that kill people for a living and do it very, very well. Yeah. There's no denying that. You know, that's part of their job is what they do. Do you want that individual to have that capability, be out in the field and be suffering with low testosterone because you've stopped his gear because he can't get it because he's in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. I'd want to have those guys all juiced up. Everybody who goes out into the field gets, like, some halo tabs. So there's the other problem. How do you manage the side effects if they have problems while they're out in the field? Yeah. You take it out on the enemy. You know? You get a little aggression. So... So there's it, but this is where the probably the biggest issue is. There is an element of assumed responsibility mm. for yeah. the government over the health of their employees in the services. Yeah. If, and it can be argued, and they are potentially liable if someone serving is using anabolics, which then suffers a health issue because of it. Yeah. Um, so let's say one of the special forces is a full-blown juice head, hammering it in irresponsibly levels, goes out on an exercise, has a heart attack and dies. Yeah. Now, straight away, the government then has an element of care of duty here because they have someone... They've created an environment because of the physical demands on this individual where anabolics are attracted to them and sure. they failed to monitor their health for closer. But here's the other side of the problem. What if you are in a squad and you are in a high-pressure situation and the man you're depending on to watch your six has a heart attack because of his anabolic steroid use? Yeah. That may cost the lives of everybody in that unit. Yeah. So it, it's complex, and I, I, I see both sides of it, but it is complex. Um, and the problem is a little bit of um, use in the right places can be supportive, but where does that stop? 
So at what point does usage is usage contoned and supported and at what point does it become problematic? And we all know that it can be very easy to fall in the the more is better For mindset sure, with this. Yeah. And to be fair as well, you've also got to look at the mental profile of a special forces individual. They tend to be a little bit wired unusually. <laughs> their off button isn't always quite set right. And, um, you know, lots of these guys struggle when they finish service, slotting back into normal society. Yeah. A lot of them end up going into mercenary work or, or, or that type of security work where it's very extreme, very left of center. Um, and not all of them are mentally stable is the wrong word, but have the same balance socially and mentally that the average person does in society. Yeah. Um, and I feel like being in that line of work, you, you, you're just cultivating that even further, you know? Yep. So So there is, there is also the, 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 the question around, these are extreme individuals and the anabolic element can make them more extreme. Um, and, I don't think the performance element of special forces has increased over the last 20 years. And there is no denying that, that anabolics were definitely not, I'm not saying they, they weren't around because we know they were around, but I'm not saying they weren't used by special forces, but you know, the previous units have managed fairly well without them. I think so availability it, it, is higher now than, you yeah, know, than so, it was 20 years ago the, with the internet the, and everything else. The point I'm trying to make is it's not a necessity. Yeah. Um, yes, it might make performance easier. It might make them slightly better, but it's not a necessity for what they do. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously they are easier. And, and so there is the other question. Are we now seeing people in these special units that, like you said about the genetic side of it, that maybe aren't genetically gifted to be there and are relying on chemical support in order to perform at that level? So there's all sorts of questions, and I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. There's just it's it's a really complex subject, um, and there's a lot more the kids did than let's just give them drugs and, and let them go around and shoot people. It isn't like that. Come on, you know. Um, all right. So there are questions around that, and, and there is no doubt that lots of people that use anabolics and, and people might not like this in, on on the show. Um, I might get some hate off this that have issues mentally. I deal with them every week mm. that have addictive issues around anabolic use or, or are suffering with poor mental health because of the combination of their anabolic use. We've, we've got plenty of viewers that have said, I can't take train. If I do, I'm going to be divorced or I'm going to be in jail or I'm going to be this. Yeah. Do you want a special ops guy <laughs> running around, trend up to the nuts, going mad? And, you know, the next thing he's on the news for a, a mass shooting. So <clears throat> it, it's it's not as simple as it first looks. Um, it is very complex and it is a difficult one. But I think the biggest issue is the health liability thing. Um, I think that's where the problem lies. Yeah, I could see that. I could see them feeling as though they were uh, legally, the military was legally responsible. And if somebody were to get sick, have some type of issue, which I I can respect that. And 
at the end of the day, uh, thank you to everybody for your service. I don't care what country you're from. If you guys are fighting for what you believe in, then more power to you. And I appreciate you. Hey, what's up, guys? I have a lot of people who reach out to me on a regular basis who are trying to more effectively reach their goals. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is that they're not getting enough protein. And there's only so much chicken breast we can eat through the day, but we can easily add a high-quality protein supplement to boost those numbers up. True Nutrition has just about every protein powder you can think of from high-quality weight isolate. If you don't tolerate lactose, then you could use their beef isolate. Or you could use their pea protein isolate if you don't eat animal products. They literally have everything you'd think of. I've believed in them for like a decade before they advertised with us. And they, they never went out of their way to say like, hey, we want to promote our stuff through you. I literally asked them because it's a company that I believe in. And at the end of the day, I want to see you guys reach your goals as effectively as possible. So if you use our code, think at True Nutrition, you'll get some savings, you'll help to support our programming, and you'll get some high quality products to more effectively reach your goals faster. I will say that. Um, let's go to our questions here. We had one from Carl on uh, Patreon. He says, question about blood work uh, for TRT. He says he was using 200 milligrams weekly. Uh, his test score test score six days after a shot was 963. I'm guessing that that's on the range of 1200. But he said his RBC went up to 18.3 and hematocrit went up to 53.8. So I believe that 51 or 50 something is uh, 50 is our top end of range. I believe 51. He says, uh, doctor backed me down to 120 milligrams, which resulted in six days post-shot level of 628. So he was 963, now 628. Um, I've read articles saying that elevated red blood levels from TRT aren't dangerous. Um, I've also seen this from Dante. Um, did my doctor overreact or is reducing dosage the safe thing to do? He also said that I should consider donating blood. I'm up 15 pounds since starting TRT. Um, body fat uh, body fat test showed 11 pounds of it was muscle. I don't want to risk any health issues, but I also want to uh, don't want to lose the awesome momentum. I appreciate the insight. Love the show. Dave's humor is underrated. I agree. I completely. Um, <laughs> there's a few things. There's there's a, there's a few things going on here, and there's some positives and some negatives. Um, from a point of view of hematocrit, hematocrit will elevate with dehydration. I would be more interested in where RBC and where hemoglobin was, because that's more of a truer reflection on whether the blood is thickening from the anabolics. Um. An elevation in blood thickness from TRT is no difference in, from a point of view of its health impact from an elevation of blood thickness from sleep apnea or, or from cycle. If your blood thickens, there is a health element risk. That's, that's deniable. That's not deniable. Level of thickness is the defining factor here. If, you're, if your hemoglobin is 175, all right, it's not great, but it's not a huge health risk. If your hemoglobin is 201, yeah, there's there's a much bigger concern for health at that point because we're now into a, a region of levels where we start discussing risk of stroke. Yeah. So a lot of people focus on hematocrit, and I, I don't think you should single that out on its own in its entirety. You need to look at hemo, you need to look at RBC and see where both of those are in conjunction because hematocrit will go up even though hemoglobin and RBC are fine if you are dehydrated at the point of testing. Hmm. So there's the first thing. 
Um, the second thing is to say that there's no risk from elevated hematocrit RBC or hemoglobin because it's TRT driven is bollocks. High or low, high from anything can create risk depending on where the level is. So you can't discount elevated RBC and elevated hemoglobin just because it's come from TRT. However, an 11 pound muscle gain would suggest either you were vastly under muscle due to very low tests for a prolonged period of time or your levels are having a cyclic effect. Yeah. And they are beyond therapeutic levels. This can be quite individual. Uh, but for me, TRT, I like to keep it sort of within the top 30% of range. But I don't like to run it close to thresholds because that's when we start to see problems with estrogen problems, with blood thickening and prostate and everything else developing over extended periods of time. Um, so though, yes, your doctor has potentially overreacted with hematocrit being where it was, the dismissal of high blood value because it's TRT driven is incorrect. It should be based on levels, not what's caused it. What causes it can, can affect the treatment element of it. But the fact is, if it's high, it's high. It doesn't matter what's put it high. If it's high, the higher it is the bigger a health concern there is. However, if you've gained 11 pounds of muscle, then there is potential that your TRT is a little bit on the higher side and you are on the virgin of being super pharmacological in its effects on your body. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk in the last few years about high hematocrit not being an issue. And, um, you know, I I mean, I've run high and I, I've still run high to an extent. And for me, it's been due to my lungs not functioning the way they used to. We've also talked about like CPAPs, you know, if you need a CPAP, if you have sleep apnea, you can have higher hematocrit. I think he should maybe even get rehydrated, make sure he's super hydrated, you know, get that water in. And then like you mentioned, Dave, that's the number one thing. And maybe even retest from there to ensure that it wasn't, you know, like artificially thick due to being dehydrated. That'd be one thing to consider. Well, Look, hematocrit isn't necessarily an indication of thick blood. It's an indication of an increase in blood viscosity. It's stickier. Yeah. You want to look at the actual material content of your blood, which is hemoglobin and red blood cells. Okay. So what you should be looking at is hemo, RBC, and hematocrit, not the single of hematocrit on its own. Okay. Um, so, you know, if you've got an RBC of 160, but hematocrit of 555, Everyone be all like, you're so, No, it's not. That's dehydration. That's definitely dehydration because your hemo's not high. And you're speaking in UK numbers there. Yeah, sorry. So, But if hemo is high, if hemo is, you know, 10, 15% above um, upper limit, uh, and hemocrat isn't, then I'd still be concerned it, because you've got a lot of hemoglobin going on there. And regardless, if your blood is thicker, there is more risk regardless of if it's okay or not okay to have high high hematocrit as people are discussing nowadays i think that it you know it does increase our risks of clotting and clotting has been a big issue for the past few years specifically people. since 2020 if you catch what i'm saying so you know that i would be very careful would that be my main that'd be my big concern 
And I started running natokinase um, to to help ensure that I don't get clotting. So, yeah, NATO or NATO, depending on how you say it, uh, and IP6 will both help lower blood thickness uh, and lower red blood cells and lower hemoglobin. But we are in an industry where people will look for any sign or type of justification that what they're doing is okay when it starts to create abhorrent blood results. Yeah. Because nobody wants to face the the reality or the, the, the potential reality that what they're choosing to do is unhealthy for them. Stop trying to justify shitty bloods with this excuse and that excuse and just look at the bloods for what they are. If if HCT is elevated, hematocrit, and RBC is elevated, and he HB is elevated, then your blood is thick and it needs reducing. If just hematocrit is elevated, and RBC and, and hemoglobin are okay, then there's more likely that's a hydration problem rather than actually thick blood. And yes, your blood will be more prone to clotting at that point, but it's rectified by more fluids. You need all three, for me, in my opinion, for you to start to be concerned about there being health risks there. Brandon says, uh, next sensational fitness uh, Instagram headline, Scott McNally of Think Big appreciates the Russian military soldiers. Because <laughs> I said that I, I don't care what country you're from, you know. Mm. And yeah. South Korea as well. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, twist that around. Uh, also, a nice comment we got um, on the last episode. Both of you guys would look killer in plaid shirts with the sleeves cut off. We should get those, Dave. Be like our I matching. Had, I, I had one of those. <laughs> uh, loving the training content for a change. Keep it going. We got that one. And, yeah, next uh, week. Yeah, we'll do another one of those. Um, oh, and... This guy, too. I, there was something I didn't say last week. Uh, thanks for answering my question about families. Obviously, this is my decision in the end, but I'd still love to keep my family support and not cause any future issues. I'll keep you guys in the loop. He was the guy who was saying, like, how do I talk to my family? You know what? I, I didn't share my own personal experience, Dave. Personally, I just did it without, like, going and telling my family this is what I'm going to do. And after about five years, they figured it out on their own. You know what I'm saying? Like they figured it out on their own and then they had to accept it because that's kind of part of just who I am and what I'm doing. And I, I think through that, they began to also appreciate that maybe, you know, as, as much as they care about me, that I'm going to make my own decisions and that it's, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not like flying off the handle and, you know, doing sensational stuff. I, I think my brother's knew because they're only eight and nine years older than me so it wasn't something that was unknown to them yeah. um they didn't really need to be told they could see yeah <clears throat> my mom found out through a tv program because <laughs> <laughs> there i was on tv talking about using steroids um yeah. i don't know if she suspected it she said to me she got in the car with me one day and she just turned around and said why <laughs> and i went why not i said at the end of the day my honesty my openness can help people mm. who are having problems with it why lie about it what's the problem yeah and she just went 
Yeah, okay. And I never, ever discussed it again. But my mum was one of these that liked to, if I don't talk about it, it isn't happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've put my mum in some bad position. I mean, <laughs> God bless the cotton socks, she's long gone. Uh, but I put, I put my mum probably in some pretty bad positions over the years with things I've done and the fact that they've probably become public before she even knew about them. Yeah. Um, first thing she knew about me being arrested was because it was in a local paper. Oh, uh, you got to make her, you got to make a call before it gets to the paper, Dave. Well, yeah. So, um, and unfortunately it was one of the friends that made her, and, and I think, well, friend is probably a loose term. And I think they quite joyfully made her aware of. Oh, advice. Jesus. All right. Um, so, what about- so, yeah, I put my mum through some shino over the years. <laughs> what about a, a circuit training? Um, it says, uh, I use it for arms. Example, 10 reps for a single arm rotation, dumbbell curls, 15 reps for hammer curls, 20 reps for reverse curl, uh, reverse grip barbell curls, um, one after the other, all in one set, then do it again. Then three different exercises for buys again. Then do two circuits for tries. Amazing pump. So I, I feel like this is not that's, as much as a circuit as a giant set. That's either a giant set or supersets. Uh, I've always been a little bit, what's the difference? I believe supersets, by definition, is two exercises back two. to back. Yeah. Why giant sets is three. My loss loves giant sets. I'm not a big fan. To me, it's it's a bit too volumizing. Um, I think it's okay in certain aspects as a case of changing it up, changing blood flow, that sort of thing. But I, I, I'm still a great believer that it's progressive resistance through failure that's going to get the best growth. Having said that, a giant set of low numbers, say four to five, maybe even six on one exercise followed by a four to five another exercise followed by a four to five another exercise I could see being super intense giant sets of reps of 12 15 and 30 if I said to you do a set of 40 40 reps of the barbell curl it's going to make you grow you'd say no it wasn't that's cardio yeah so why is it if you change the exercise you seem to think that that's going to help you grow yeah, there is. There is. I know Broderick feels this. Broderick feels that high volume, very high volume training coupled with growth hormone use will help with muscular growth. I'm not convinced. Um, I, I, I'm not going to be bold enough to say no, it can't. I, sure. I will just. I will just say that in my experience, I, I'm definitely not convinced. I'm happy to be proven otherwise, but as yet, I've not seen any proof. I've just seen opinions of, well, for me, it did this, it did that. Volumization is going to definitely create some temporary fullness and volume. And I don't mean temporary as in hours. I mean temporary as in, you know, days and weeks. Um, but I'm not convinced it's actually going to be be particularly contributing to long-term growth. But it's definitely something that you can throw in as a switch up, as something that's a little bit, or you can use in conjunction with another style of training. So... Rich used to like the feeder principle where you you did a heavy, very low volume, very high weight, very high intense workout, and then you followed that with a very high volume, very high rep feeder, which would, the idea being that loads of blood flow through the muscle went loads of nutrition, loads of nutrient, and therefore helped recover it. Yeah. So I know with Milos, 
um, James just started working with him. And he suggested to James that he did do some type of volumizing work. He, James said, you know, I like to lift the way I like to lift, and that's how I've gained my muscle. But he is trying to do like a little bit of volumizing at the end of his workouts now. Um, when you worked with Milos, did he suggest that you did any type of giant sets? Did he try to talk to you about your training at all? No, he was. He, I, I think the thing is, when I worked with Milos, he was. He was. I think he would have done if I he wasn't seeing the results. Okay. Yeah. Because he saw results, he was like, "You're growing. I don't see any reason to change anything." Yeah. Uh, but I used to do. A sort of very condensed version of that because I would do my heavy, intense workout, low rep volume, um, so literally sets of six. But then I would back that up with a higher rep, 12, 15, 20 rep set at the back end. Um, and so uh, it was it was definitely not in the same scale of the volumization, or, or but there was an element of that feeder principle there that at the end of a body part exercise. I would do a higher volume set to increase the blood flow at that point, but it just wasn't extended into lots and lots of sets. I know Jamie did the giant set approach with Milos. I, f I believe he found it challenging, though I've not spoke to him on that, even whether he felt it was effective. Yeah, one of the challenges is even if you train in a commercial gym to hog like five pieces of equipment. You know, Ron Partlow said he tells people no giant sets during peak hours at the gym, you know, because you can't take like a leg press and a hack squat and, uh, you know, everything else. Yeah, I mean, if you're using selective movement, selector exercises, so you're just moving a pin up and down the stack, it's not so bad if you're letting people set in. But if you're using plate loading equipment, then it's not viable because you have to set the machine up for what you're doing. Yeah. One thing to consider, I think, is so if we're doing straight sets and we're pushing hard and we're taking longer breaks or whatever, two minute breaks between our sets, you know, you're able to hit failure pretty hard there. Versus if you immediately go from one exercise to the next to the next, you're going to limit how hard you can tax your central nervous system. Because every time we hit failure, you know, our central nervous system takes a hit. So I started doing, to get back into my training again, this is maybe five months ago, I started um, doing giant sets, a slow giant set, basically. Like I'd take legs and I'd do extensions, hamstring curls, uh, leg press, and then hack squats. And then I just repeat that, you know, repeat that around. And one of the reasons it was good for me at that time was because I wasn't able to push to my absolute limit and kill myself on any single exercise because I was constantly already fatigued. You know, it was kind of putting like a governor on how hard I could push. Well, the thing is, I'm, I, I like drop sets, but if they're done right to me, they have to be used very sparingly because they are so intense. And I think yeah. a lot of people use drop sets as a volume movement where they'll do 15 reps then drop 12 reps then drop 10 reps whereas i do four reps max weight max effort failure drop and do another three reps max eight max eight. i've even done drop sets where i'm only getting one rep yeah or one and a half reps from the drop but i want to keep it in that max effort period and range for as long as i can so the total set might be 10 12 reps but it's all done at max effort pretty much every single or every second rep is max effort. Hmm. And I like that side of training, but that side of training is going to wipe you out very, very quickly because you are doing your max effort over and over right. and over again in one set, you know, which yeah. is, is 
is is going to have a huge taxation on your body. Steve says, "Jolly good show, chaps." Thank you, Steve. He speaks your language, I, I guess. How about yes. this one? Um, question for the next show. He says, um, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about adding EQ to my next blast, but I've come across a study that links EQ to kidney damage and suggests it's potentially more deleterious to the kidneys than other anabolics. Um, I'm wondering what your opinions are on this and whether you've ever heard of this being a problem in the real world usage of this compound things. This is something that's been talked about a lot lately in the last six months. I believe that maybe it was more plates, more dates. I, I could be wrong. Did a video about how EQ is bad for the kidneys. And since then, I've had a number of people that say, oh, no, I don't want to run EQ because it's bad for your kidneys. Right. I'm the only pathway I'm familiar with with EQ for kidney damage is blood thickening. So it's increased hemo, thicker blood, therefore putting more pressure on the, the glomeri filtration system within the kidneys because it has to pass through a network, basically like a sieve, a network of little holes. The thicker blood puts pressure on the holes and as a result, the holes can create micro tears. Um, is, are they talking about a direct chemical toxicity as the same as trend or are they talking about that method of action you know what i can't tell you because i hadn't seen that video uh maybe our listeners who are watching can comment below and let us know you know because i, I, I there's been so many people who have watched this all i can tell you is just my personal experience that eq so was my number one compound for growing and i had run it up to a gram at times and um, my kidneys are still completely fine. Now I'm one person. I can say that over the years, I've had other, I've had people I've worked with that have also found the EQ was their jam. And so far, I mean, lucky enough, I haven't had anybody that I've worked with that has ever had a kidney issue. Now I've got knackered kidneys, and I virtually never run EQ. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's that. Um, Tren has a chemical interaction with EQ due to inflammation mark. Sorry, Tren has a chemical reaction within the kidneys from a point of view of inflammation. Okay. So Tren physically inflames the kidneys, which can damage them and, and, and definitely does impair their function directly. Uh, so there's, there's medical links from Tren to AKI acute kidney injury. Okay. Uh, acute kidney injury doesn't necessarily lead to kidney damage, but it can do if you're exposed to AKI on numerous occasions and it's around the inflammation. Um, my understanding for the mechanisms of EQ has always been around the blood thickening element and that blood thickness creating problems in the kidney. And there's definitely blood thickness can damage the kidneys. That, that's without, you know, argument. There's, there's no other alternative. That does happen, can happen, and will happen if you're exposed to thick blood for an extended period of time. But I'm not aware of a chemical interaction from EQ. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It's just something I, I, I've not come across directly. I know there's issues with EQ and liver. Uh, I would say chemi this. Chemically, and, and I know, yeah, I think EQ, if I remember rightly, can increase liver weight as well. Now, liver and kidneys are linked, and there is some crossover from damage to the liver, then creating damage in the kidneys. So I don't know if there's a mechanism there that I'm unaware of. I mean, I'm only unaware because I've not looked at it because I don't use EQ, so it's not really spend that much time on. I would say this, a couple things. Number one is 
you know, the main thing that we've always talked about on this program is getting the most you can out of the least. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the idea is to try to use the least amount possible. The less you use, <laughs> the less likely you are to get side effects. There's that. And then number two is to watch your lab work, you know, see what's going on. Pay attention to that stuff. I haven't ever seen a situation where you made a mistake, you took a compound, and then the next day, all of a sudden, you know, now you've got kidney problems. This is something that people don't pay attention to for extended periods of time, and then and then they have problems of some type. It's it's not something that happens overnight. So I would no. say, in general, pay attention and, and watch these things. The only compound that I'm aware of that can have a, a not instantaneous, but a very rapid effect on your kidneys is Trent. Yeah. Um, the other thing is i had this conversation with someone the other day actually because they were asking if we did serum uh free testosterone testing i said no we only do testosterone calculation and he said well the serum's more accurate the calculation can be inaccurate and i said well yeah the calculation can be inaccurate because it's based on three values so it's based on albumin total testosterone and shbg and as a result you've got three variables there so you've got more of a percentile chance of it being out because you've got three variants. Whereas serum total testosterone is a measurement of total testosterone in, sorry, serum free testosterone is a measurement of free testosterone in blood. We don't do it because it's expensive. Not many labs do it and it takes time to recover. The other thing is most people won't pay for it. And he was like, well, I'd be really interested to pay for it. I said, yeah, but to what real world advantage? Because let's say there's a 10% variance in serum to, to, to calculate a free testosterone. The real world impact of that is none, unless you've got a very specific medical condition that is sensitive to that, which isn't an issue for 99.9% of people. And his answer was, no, I just want to know. I said, well, that's fine. If it's just curiosity, if it's just medical or science knowledge curiosity, that's fine. But And I think this is a problem with a lot of this deep dive stuff and and a lot of when people go in depth is there's a lot of information that though incorrect isn't necessarily impacting and therefore isn't necessarily well isn't necessary um for most people you know if calculated test or free testosterone has worked perfectly fine for endocrinology for decades and the studies that you can find online regard the accuracy of it and the the percentage of um, variable against serum testing are quite close then i find it perfectly adequate for me so i think there's a danger of over sciencing and sometimes getting too wrapped up in the detail when actually you're potentially missing the broader picture which is possibly going to be much more effective for you anyway there is also a little bit of a i'm going to be a bit of a toe rag now a toe rag yeah a a not nice person um i never heard that one guys so there there is there is a little bit of a part of me that wants to say you know these people that are super interested in the science bit of it all never tend to be particularly big or well developed there's that there is that. There is some. There is some truth to that. I'm sorry. There are, there are some Jack doctors, Mr. Stevenson. You are the present exception. I give you that very well. But there are a lot that are not. Yeah. All right. We got a time for maybe one more and some Uncle Dave advice. Um, I'm not going to put this one up here because I'm going to change a couple of the words. Um, what uh, supplement 
supplement can I take um, that doesn't necessarily mean I have to cycle just something maybe um, I shouldn't avoid or should put in my system. Okay, I got to put it up because I can't understand what he means here. Um, I think, no, no, this isn't right. Okay, so I saw this in the feed. Um, there isn't an anabolic you can just go on and stay on, if, if that's what somebody's asking. Above a testosterone base, in my opinion, that replicates natural levels. Mm. So if you take testosterone that replicates natural level, there is a long-term viability to use that, yes. And so in that, you can get your levels at an optimum level. An optimum is optimum for you, which is a balance between elevation and negative impacts from elevated testosterone, like blood thickening, PSA elevation, things like that, lowering of HDL. So there's a sweet spot, which will be individual to each person. Um, so there is a commonality that would say most people would want to be in the lower end of the top 30% of their natural range. Yeah. Um, so that's a very much a, a good starting point, shall we say. Uh, but when you start going super pharmacological or you start adding alien compounds to our body, um, then I would argue there is nothing you can take long term that doesn't need to be monitored or cyclic. About the DHEA and pregnenolone, worth it or not? Brian, For the most this. part, I would say no. Um, I tend to find that the, and this is the other thing, for every TRT patient that I look at that has low DHEA, there's one that has high DHEA. Okay. So it seems to be very much person-driven whether TRT leaves you with low DHEA or high DHEA. It doesn't seem to be that it's specific to TRT. I also tend to find that the higher people try and run the DHEA, so when people start pushing towards upper ends of ranges and yeah. slightly above, so we take the, the UK range of 29 mol being upper limit, when people start sitting around 28, 29, 30, 31, that's when we start to see DHE start to lower. Mm. When people sit 20, 24, 25 in that sort of mid-range, you know, so the upper third, as I was saying earlier on, the lower end of the upper third, the DHE seems to be fine. So take from that what you will. Um, but I, a lot of people, again, they'll say, oh, I need to run HCG while on TRT. No, not necessarily. Some people, yes, it's going to have an impact on mental health. Other people, not. But we, there's also this, am I just taking a drug to feel good rather than dealing with the issues that are making me not feel so good? Like my sleep's crap, or my stress levels are really high, or I'm letting my I'm not controlling my anxiety because I'm not doing any form of mental health programming. You can improve your mental health by working on your mental health. It's not always about using drugs to fix problems. It's easy and it's convenient, and we live in a society where there are pills for everything. But you can also help yourself by just starting to take care of yourself mentally. It sounds like some Uncle Dave advice. Did you just segue into your Uncle Dave advice for the day? I didn't, but I think I'll leave it as my Uncle Dave's advice for the day. Yes. Because <laughs> I was going to think, what the hell am I going to talk about? So that's worked really, really well. <laughs> that's good. So um, are, are you taking <clears throat> client, clients right now for coaching? 
Yeah, I could do with some actually. I'm, I'm, I've let it. I've, as Scott will be able to confirm, there is always a natural waste with clients because people come and go for various reasons, especially when I'm tend to be more lifestyle off season bulk rather than comp prep. Though I do have some. I've got one guy at the moment doing really well actually. Um, so yes, I am, but because um, I haven't really pushed for new clients for a while, and I've let my numbers drop a little bit low, so I could do with picking them up a little bit if I'm honest. All right. What's um, the best way to reach I, out to you for that? Social media. Mind meld, and I will hear you call. <laughs> um, usually just social media DM, your best way. So either Facebook or Instagram, just message me. Um, I do do uh, drug and health only as well. I've got a growing number of people that are looking more towards that rather than the full diet and training thing. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, reach out to Dave. I'll have uh, his contact info down below. And of course, go to evalbloodanalysis.com. Get your lab work done by Dave if you're in the UK and Strom Sports Nutrition for you UK folks. Um, supplementsource.ca for Canadians. TrueNutrition.com for everybody in the U.S. Uh, check them out. Use our code THINK over there. Get some good savings and get some high-quality supplements. Plus, thank you to everybody from Patreon. I have my my list up on Patreon. You guys get to see some of the episodes early. You'll probably see this one early because I have to get it uploaded like a week in advance in order to dispute it so that we can hopefully get monetized. I'm not going to count on that. So thank you, everybody from Patreon for supporting the show. And you can reach out to me, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. I'd be happy to talk to you about coaching. And uh, yeah, anything else, Dave? No, let's see. All right. Well, for another episode of Drug Stuff with Dave Cross, I will see you soon. You said the words. You're supposed to say podcast. Oh, I know, I know, I know.